Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. In John 15, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then in verse 5, he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I, am he, and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are thankful, God, that we don't fight for victory. God, but we fight from victory, Lord, because the battle has already been won. And Lord, I pray that this morning, God, you would remind us, the church, God, that gathers in worship, God, to lift high your great name, to be encouraged and equipped to be sent out as the church on mission for the glory of your name. God, I pray that you would remind us, Lord, that that what we need, Lord, is you, God, to be filled with the power of your spirit, God, to be sent out with boldness, God, because we've been abiding in you and we've been in your presence, God, and because of that, Lord, everything changes, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do in our midst this morning. God, we declare our dependence on you. We pray, uh, God, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the word of God, Lord, that you would allow it, uh, Lord, to penetrate deep into our lives, Lord, and that this morning, God, that everything might change. God, that the way we, God, the way we see things might change. And Lord, that you might use us for the glory of your name. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you. God, that's never responded to the good news of the gospel. The finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we pray that this morning would be the day of salvation. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask for your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to go... We're going to go strong today. We're going to go fast. But I want, to, uh, I want to encourage you this morning as we think about what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 16 uh, today. If you want to take uh, your copy of God's Word and turn there, we'll begin in uh, verse 13 here in just a few moments. But I want to, I want to remind you that words matter. Uh, you know, we live in a culture where uh, a lot of times, and we live kind of in a time where through text messages and lots of different things, there's a lot of abbreviations uh, I was with a couple of teenagers yesterday, uh, and is that, uh-oh, somebody said, yeah, no, I love them, they're good. And so they, I was with them, and, uh, and they, were, they were talking, and somebody had gotten a phone, they were texting with them, and, and they used an abbreviation, they said FR, and then they kind of laughed because that person didn't know what FR was. Uh, if you know what FR is, raise your hand. Yeah, there's some people in here that does, right? Somebody tell me what it is. For real, right? Yeah, like, I thought it was like fancy rig. Maybe they drove by something good. I don't know. Uh, you know, I find out a lot of times I just have to kind of try to stay up with the words. Uh, one of our staff members one time used this word. They've never used it again, but they were like, that's fetch. And I'm like, I thought that's what like a dog did, right? Like, I don't know. I, I was, I was kind of leaning in there, but words matter. And, and then we, we're kind of in an emoji time, right? We can send emojis out. I, I was at the, the hospital, and I saw uh, just this really cool thing. I'd never seen it before. It was a duck. And this duck had uh, little emoji discs, right? And I don't know if you've ever been... Uh, in, in the emergency room, and they want to know how bad you're hurting, and they're like, hey, look at those faces up there, and just tell me which one of those is you, right? Or is it the, uh, uh, you know, the angry, hurting, real bad pain? And so this duck has those things, and then the kid gets this, this opportunity to take the little emoji and put it on the duck in a certain spot, and then the duck makes the emotion that they're feeling. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever, right? I'm just wanting to play with it and, and see 
uh, how this thing works, right? And it's incredible. Now, now words, uh, you know, we see those emojis. They communicate a whole lot of things. Words mean something to us. If I uh, put this next picture, maybe I say the word football, right? And, and when I say the word football, uh, you, you see this picture of uh, a football, right? And in our culture, we think about that. Like, and, and when you think about that, something may come to your mind, right? Friday Night Lights here in town uh, was this past Friday, kind of kicked off. And so we might think about our hometown football. We might think about, uh, we might think about a certain team, right? There might be some Vol fans in here. Any Tennessee fans? At least one, right? Like, yeah, so I figured somebody. Like, they're, they're, it's crazy enough to think, you know, we come together. You know, Ethan was praying for unity in the body of Christ. Like, there's, there's Kentucky fans even in this room, right, that we allow. Yeah, you can hear them, right? I don't know why they're so proud of that. But you see those kind of things. Like, I'm trying to figure that out. But there might be bulldogs. And, and we could go into all these things. It's not important, but I want to tell you, when we uh, were in Honduras a few weeks ago, when we say the word football... That's not what comes to their mind. There's a whole different picture. You'll see it on the screen. And, and those of you that have been uh, in countries like that, that, it is not football Americana that is in their mind, right? It, it, it's something completely different. You know, we're going to read in, in this passage today, and we're going to see Jesus uh, introduce this, this word uh, for the church. Right? We're going to see Jesus for the first time really speak about the church. And we're going to see some things about that. But when we think of the church especially in this North American culture, when we think of the church, a lot of times our mind goes to a picture. And I love that, that drone uh, picture that's there and, and, and just the gift that that's been such a, a beautiful thing. But when we think of the church, a lot of times that's the picture that we think of. It's a building. It's something, right? And we, we might hear the word disciple and we might have something in our mind about what that looks like. And when we think about what it looks like to be uh, a church. And what does it look like together? You know, something we've been leaning into, and you'll hear more about uh, throughout this year, but we've been leaning in. So what does it look like together in, in God's way for, as the church? And what does it look like in worship and all these places? And I pray today that, that the words that we hear, that we might leave here with a new picture in our mind and that that picture might change everything about what we understand our role is individually and collectively as the body of Christ. And so we're going to jump in. I'm going to just walk verse by verse through a few verses in uh, Matthew 16. And we're just going to jump in uh, quick this morning. Scripture says this in beginning in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. And here's the question he asked, right? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am not, now, now, Jesus, the time that he's going to be going to the cross is approaching uh, very quickly. And there was something that they needed to know. It was time for them to learn something critical. And I believe that time is for us today as well. And, and to be reminded maybe of something that we already know. And this passage, we're going to see it's one of the most important revelations in, uh, that's ever been made. And the way that you and I answer the question that Jesus is going to ask here in just a moment, it is the most important question question that you could ever be asked. And the way that you answer is critical. And so he says, who do people say that I am? Who do the people that are around us, what do people say? That the, who do they say that the Son of Man is? In verse 14, we see the disciples responding. He said, well, he said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah. He said, we, we see people saying all those kind of things, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
right? The popular opinions of the time. I mean, Jesus, they're referring to him as this highly esteemed prophet. They're looking at, at, at maybe this resurrected uh, prophet. They're saying, hey, maybe uh, it's Elijah, right? And, and the Jews uh, to this day, right, they expect Elijah to return before the Messiah. And in celebration of the Passover, they, they leave a chair vacant for him to occupy, right? Some would say that, that it is Jeremiah, right? Some would say that that was who it was. And they had thought there's, there's extra biblical literature, but there's things that would say that they thought Jeremiah was going to come. And with him would come the tabernacle. With him uh, would be this, the ark and, and the altar of incense. And all those things are going to precede uh, the Messiah coming. But, but there's these kind of things that are circulating. And every, every generation, right? Every generation faces this question, right? Who do the people say that Jesus is? Yes, right? And we see all kinds of different responses. But here's the thing in verse 15. He asked a question that is so important. And he asked this question of his disciples. He said, what is the world around? What, who do they say that I am? And he hears all these different things. But then he looks at his disciples. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would, would allow this to pierce in, in our hearts in a deep way. When Jesus looks at them and he says, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And man, what an incredible question. And you know, we answer that question. Some people will say in our culture, they'll say, well, my Jesus. And then they'll fill in the blanks about my Jesus does this and my Jesus does that. And, and, and they may say those kind of things. Some people would say that Jesus was a great man, that he was a prophet. There are lots of opinions out there. But I want to declare this morning and remind you that there is only one truth. And either Jesus Christ is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. C.S. Lewis would say that, that Jesus is either Lord, lunatic, or he is a liar, right? That it is one of those things. Things. And we understand that Jesus is either who he claimed to be, the son of God, or he is the greatest deceiver of all time. And we must ask ourselves, who do you say that Jesus is? That is the question that they were asked. And in verse 16, Simon Peter, man, he gets it right this time. Simon Peter doesn't always get it right, right? We know that, right? Just like us. But man, he gets it this time. And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one that we have been waiting for. The same, you are the Son of God of the same being and the same substance. You are the one who, that by all things and for all things, that they were created. That there's not one thing that's been created that wasn't created by him and for him. He recognized you are the Son of the living God. You are the source of all things. And Jesus loves that answer, right? And I love how Jesus responds. He says to him, bless Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus is going to, uh, to, to reveal something in this moment. And, and I want to tell you, there's no room uh, for any big heads in the body of Christ. Because the reason that we know who God is, the reason that we know Jesus is not because we figured it out on our own. If it wasn't for the word of God and, and the revelation that God has given us of who he is through the word of God, none of us, we would be hoping 
hopeless uh, without, there, there's no, we don't figure this thing out on our own. Uh, can I remind you this morning that only God can convict, only God uh, can save. Uh, we read in God's word in Romans 10, he says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are so thankful uh, that we've been gifted the word of God. We, we can't redeem ourselves. We can't transform ourselves. We can't, uh, we can't do anything to give ourselves righteousness. Only God can do those things. And what we see is that the spirit of God, so Jesus, we see that the gospel goes forth. And by the way, that's what the church has been created to do is to proclaim the good news of the gospel. The church, uh, there, there was not a mission that was created for the church, but the church was created for the mission. And as the gospel goes forth, the spirit of God takes the word of God, can fix sinners of their need for God. And, and, and we, as, as people, have the ability, we, we've been given uh, this responsibility to respond uh, to the word of God and we respond in faith and repentance and we are born again into the family of God and sent on mission for the glory of God, right? That, that's what we see today in baptism. We see people who have responded to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've responded in surrender, in repentance and faith and believing that there's no other way. The scripture would say there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. The scripture says as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. We profess faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see people today going public in baptism, uh, declaring the truth of the gospel and their belief and faith in Jesus Christ, right? But we, we understand, right, that, that there's nothing we could do to earn salvation. There's nothing that we could do uh, to, uh, to, to make a way on our own for heaven. It is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we can be made right with a holy God. And then Jesus goes on in verse 18. And he says, I also say that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this is the first time that Jesus speaks of the church. It's a Greek word that's used in this passage and it says uh, so much. And, and, but before we lean in there, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I want to remind you that it is his church, uh, that it's not, it's not our church. It's not my church. It's not the deacon's church. It is his church. He said, I will build my church. And then he gives us this promise, right? He reminds us that he is building the church. And he said, gives us this promise. He says, the gates of hell will not overpower it. It's built by Jesus. This word for church, it's ecclesia that, that he's used. And we see this word. And anytime we see it, it's not speaking of a building, but it is speaking of a people. It never denotes a physical structure in the New Testament, but a community of people. And, and so I want to remind you, and, and we know this, but we don't come to church. We gather as the church. We gather as the body of Christ. And, and we, we look at this, this passage, and we're reminded that as we go out, we are to be the church as we leave. And sometimes this passage could, could bring up question like, who is the rock? What is the rock that the church is built on? What is it talking about that? And sometimes it can be confusing. There can be misinterpretations where people would, would think and believe that somehow uh, what Jesus is saying is that the church is going to be built on the person of Peter. But when we, when we dig into the scripture, according to the Greek arrangement, uh, that we see this rock is not referring uh, to Peter, but his confession uh, of Jesus as Lord, his, his confession that he makes, right? And, and so what we see is when the gospel is proclaimed, when Jesus 
is lifted high and the gospel is proclaimed, Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, Peter comes from this word petros. It's this word uh, that, that if you look into the roots of the Greek in that, it's this picture of this little stone. Uh, and he says upon this rock, and it refers uh, to Petra, which is this picture of uh, this stony mountain, this, this picture of this peak, this picture of this, uh, th- this great uh, Rocky Mountain, and so one real popular interpretation is that Jesus was comparing Peter, this small stone, uh, to this great mountainous rock on which he will build his church. First Corinthians 3.11 would say that no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, Jesus said, you can be confident that I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We, we see the, the message, right? The gospel message. And we see uh, this mission that God has created his, his church for. God, when we gather, is the object of our worship. When we gather, that this is what we do. We worship God and his mission becomes the objective of the church. This is what we, uh, we receive our marching orders uh, from Christ and we walk in that. Uh, Christopher Wright, a, a New Testament scholar, says it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Now, when we think about this mission that we have and the promise that we see here, we recognize that, that, that we're to be in this offensive movement, that, that we are to be proclaiming the good news of the gospel. As we sung today, the battle's already won. We fight from victory, but could it be? Could it be that Satan has somehow in the midst of this culture of outrage, could it be that Satan has caused the church to move from this position of offense that we've been called to into a posture of defense where we're just trying to hang in there as best as we can instead of advancing the mission of God? One of my seminary professors, Dr. Chris Moody, said it this way. I want you to lean in as we read this. It says, while Jesus's church plays on offense, the modern church of the last 60 years in America has primarily played defense. Our enemy is formidable and deceptive. One of Satan's primary strategies is to get Jesus' church off the offensive, a job he has unfortunately done quite effectively. In shifting to a defensive position, we have pulled up the drawbridge, isolating ourselves in a holy huddle, ever fearful of flaming arrows. Within such Sunday morning conclaves, we sit in circles, teaching one another, studying God's word, but not acting upon it. Leaving church buildings, we wrap ourselves in the rags of comfortable, complacent, non-confrontational camouflage so that we may blend in at work on Monday. It's a pretty heavy, it's a pretty heavy thought. You know, according to some recent surveys, somewhere around 60% of Americans would Uh, call themselves Christian today. And some of you might think that sounds like a lot, but 50 years ago, that number was 90%. About 30% of Americans now call themselves nuns, people that would describe themselves as atheists or agnostic or really nothing at all when asked about their religious identity. We are a generation away. Right? You look at the, the way that our country is going. You look at the way that people who would profess Jesus Christ continue to decline. Statistics would say that about 25% of people in our area have a faith family, have a church. People that could drive to our church, about 25% of them 
do that. The median age of people in our area, 45 years old. The largest generation right now that's growing is Gen Z, uh, ages 9 to 24 years old. And when you hear those things, there's a reason that we are so intentional with the next generation here at Cowie. We understand the responsibility that we have, but could it be? Could it be that the North American church has become more about buildings than a people on mission? Could it be that the way that we have measured success has been things that Jesus would not call us to measure? Could it be that we have, we've measured uh, success by attendance, buildings, by cash, by all those kind of things when Jesus uh, would call us to measure transformation, the people that are being conformed to the image of Christ? Dallas Willard would say that instead of counting Christians, we should weigh them. We understand that God doesn't measure the success of a church by its size or its outward appearance, but by the transformation that is taking place within its members. Could it be that somehow we've been using the wrong scorecard? Could it be that what has been painted as a picture of success in the North American church is really not a picture of success that Jesus would define Could it be that we have said, hey, if you are, uh, if you're coming to church and you're attending, if you're gathering uh, some way with a small group of believers and you've found a place to serve uh, where you are active in in participating in the body of Christ, where if we say those three things, if you're attending, you're you're showing up in a Sunday school class and you are uh, serving as a greeter or in our kids' ministry or all those things. And, and, there's, and, and those things are important. Those things are all things that we continue to measure and we continue to look at and we continue uh, to realize are important. But what if those are the wrong measurements? When it, what if those are not the only thing that we should be looking at? Because we've been measuring activity instead of transformation. Those things we talked about What we could see is that the nuns, right, if they were willing to show up, that they could attend, that they could come to a small group and they could serve somewhere and not even follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. But what if we, what if we shifted and and we're we're going to just introduce something very quickly. You'll be hearing more about it uh, over the next uh, several months, over uh, just our, our time. But But what if instead of us owning this scorecard where we're measuring these things, what if we gave it away? What if we handed every person in this room the scorecard and said, hey, we want you to look at your life and we want to look at the character and competency traits of Jesus. We want you to look at what Jesus did. He would take a group of people and he would take a small group of people and invest in them, train them, equip them, send them out. We would see Jesus start with a few and transform the world. What if we looked at it a little different. I want to introduce you just a concept very quickly. Uh, some of you are, are forward people in the room. When we say forward, we might think of something. Uh, in about 1913, something interesting happened uh, with Ford. It was something that changed everything. Uh, Henry Ford kind of narrowed his focus, and he said, hey, we're going to develop one car. It's the Model T. And no matter uh, what our customers, like our customers can have any color they want as long as it's black. And we're going to develop a we're going to develop a vehicle. It's going to be this vehicle. It's going to be this color. And, and, and something else happened in the midst of that. He, he gave this clear picture. This is what we are going to make. And, and in the meantime, it was the first moving uh, assembly line that had ever uh, been uh, implemented. And so this assembly line uh, then said, hey, we're going to take this product that we're going to make. And here's this clear picture. 
It was a Model T. It looked like this. They all looked the same. And it was this clear pathway, this way that this car would be produced. And it dramatically reduced the time. It dramatically reduced the cost. And it transformed the Industrial Revolution. Things happened in incredible ways. And as a church for the last uh, six months or so, we've been leaning in as a staff. We've taken our deacons uh, through a retreat. Uh, this week on Tuesday, there'll be a, a podcast that's released that'll share much more of the heart behind all this. I encourage you to, on our YouTube channel or on the Better Together podcast, just to watch for that. And you'll be able to sit down just in a conversation and hear kind of how God has moved us to this point. But, but we recognize that we need a clear picture and a clear path to see transformation in the lives of followers of Jesus Christ as we, as we behold Christ, as we look to Christ and we're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to give this picture, right? A, a picture, something that you could look at, something that you could evaluate. Every person's going to receive a, a card uh, as you leave today and it's going to have this picture on it and it's going to have a couple of questions that we encourage you just to self-reflect on. Uh, we, we, we took uh, groups of people and we said, hey, these are the character traits of Jesus. These are the competencies uh, of Jesus and his disciples, the things he developed in them. And, and, and we just said, hey, what's a compelling way, a way that's memorable, a way that we could look at, a way that we could put in front of folks that would be kind of unique to us, but that would be true uh, to the scriptures that may not encompass everything, but that would encompass uh, so much of what it looks like to be a disciple. And so what, what we developed was this, and, and you'll see it uh, on the screen, these four roles, that, that our desire, like as we worship and as we gather, that, that, that what we would see happen in all of you is not simply that you would attend and you would find a small group, although we encourage you to do those things, not simply that you would find a place to serve in the body of Christ, although that's a beautiful thing, but that you would be people who are daily abiding, regularly sharing, intentionally discipling forces for good where you live, work, and play, that the body of Christ is not designed to simply come in here and listen to me and, and, and to say that, okay, we're going to have these leaders and maybe our Sunday school teachers and maybe our pastors, those are going to be the people that make a difference out in the world and that share the good news of the gospel. We are not a group of believers with a priest, but we are a priesthood of believers that have been given the word of God. And what if that when we gather here and in the things that we do, shifted a mindset to where we come and and, and, and we simply uh, receive information. But if what we do becomes a training center where people are equipped to leave this place on mission for the glory of Christ and that everything we do, the places that God has placed us, the, the, the people that God has placed around us, that we would realize that we are in those places not simply for our good, not simply so that we can make a paycheck, not simply so that we can receive an education, but that we would understand that God desires to use our gifts and our abilities and everything that he has given us and he desires us to go into those places and to be light in the midst of darkness and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. This past week I had the privilege, I want to tell one story, we're going to worship together and we're going to go uh, baptize some folks so hang in uh, with me, you're going to get uh, these things, you'll get the card but, but I had the blessing of just an incredible real life example on Friday, this stuff's been just burning in my heart and so Hope and I go on an adventure to visit some colleges and we're, we're checking out these different colleges and we go uh, to this one school and we meet the track coach that had been there two weeks, uh, never met him, didn't know anything about him. 
But when we got in to his office, there was something different uh, about what was happening and what we heard from him. And he had come to faith in Christ later in his life. He had coached uh, in, in, uh, in Florida at a Division I school there, uh, had, had really was in a place of retirement. Uh, and he felt like when he came to Christ that God had said, now I want you to use the gifts that I've given you for the glory of my name. And he said, now I come together. And he was telling us, he said, he said hey, uh, last week, he said, one of our track parents uh, came to faith in Christ right here in my office as I got to share the good news of the gospel with them. He said, last track season, he said, I, I believe it was nine of his athletes were baptized in the pole vault pit as they proclaimed Bible study and shared the good news of the glory of God. And he said, it's not to me about winning track or doing those things, but I know God has given me a platform to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember what it was like to be lost and God has extended his grace to me. And I began to extend that grace to him. And what if the body of Christ said, hey, I believe. See, we exist as a church to empower generations to do just what Ethan was talking about up here, to love God, to love people, and to put that love in action. And I want to challenge you to, to stop measuring things by activity in your life, but to say, I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. I want to be transformed into a, 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 a daily abiding, somebody that loves to be in the Word of God, loving God, intentionally sharing. There are people all around that need a word from God's Word, that need to hear the good news of the gospel all around you. Somebody that's intentionally discipling their family and people that are in their midst. What relationships are we investing in and a force for good for the glory of his name? And we want to equip a, a, a group of leaders between now and January that'll say, you know what? I'll give my life to that kind of thing, to seeing people transformed, to, to being engaged in that. And we want to take time between now and then to equip a group of leaders. If you're in that, I'd love for you just to connect with me and say, hey, I'm, I'm in. This is something that that I'm willing. Listen, we don't want you just to hear something and say, you, you just want me to be busier in my life. No, we, we want to see God transform our lives and use us in a way that will transform this community for the, for, for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. It's a lot. It's a mouthful. Okay? But that's where we're going. And that's where we believe God is leading us. Um, you're going to get this scorecard as you leave. You'll see some questions on there that will help you just evaluate where you're at. It's a place that we believe somebody that's been following Jesus for 50 years or if you just come to Christ this morning that you can look at and say, I can make some, some changes in my life uh, and, and, and just lean in uh, to this, this clear picture, this clear process uh, as we follow Christ. Again, um, we're going to worship our great God together. We're going to close in, in a time of, of song. Uh, it might be that you just want to come and say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering uh, to, to the mission that you have called me to. You know, the, the scripture says this. This is when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I want you to understand something. The call to follow Christ is a call to surrender. And it's a call that says I'm no longer in charge. It says I've, I've done my own way. I've been walking my own plan. But, but we say this. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and when we do that, we're saying, God, whatever you want for my life, whatever it is that, that you want me to do, I'm surrendering my life to you, and I'm, and I'm walking in obedience. I, I'm surrendering my life to you as Lord. It says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we could be saved. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you say, I don't know that I could do any of that stuff, then you're in a good place because the reality is that there is none of us that can do any of that in our own strength, but in 
in Christ. Listen, the, the, the Bible tells us that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, that if you're following him and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And the spirit of God will empower the people of God to take the word of God on mission for the glory of God. And this place, I believe our circles of influence is our homes, our community will be transformed, right? As the people of God say, listen, this is, this is not about somebody else doing the work of the ministry. My job is not to do the work of the ministry. When you read the scriptures, Ephesians would tell us very clearly that my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and that I better be part of the work of the ministry and be on mission for the glory of his name, but that every one of us, right, has that same responsibility. And I want you to embrace it this morning and just say, God, here I am. Here I am, whatever you want in my life, Lord, that's where I want to be. If you're a believer, that's the posture that we take. If, if you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, I pray that the good news of the gospel, uh, that, that you would recognize that Jesus, he, he took on all of our sin, all of our shame. Jesus, that he, he stepped into this world, lived a life that we couldn't live, lived a sinless life, and stretched his arms out on a cross in our place, that he died in our place for our sin. And when we look to the cross and recognize that what Jesus did on that cross, that there was nothing we could do to earn it, that the Spirit of God uh, convicts us, allows us to see that, reveals that to us, illuminates the truth of the gospel in our lives. We look to the cross. We recognize that what Jesus did on that cross, it counted for me. And I believe and trust in him. The Bible says that when we do that, when we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we could be saved in whoever. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've never trusted in Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to, to call on the name of the Lord, to come in repentance and faith, just surrendering your life to Christ, saying, God, I recognize you are Lord and my life is yours. And he'll change you. He'll transform you. He'll give you purpose. Put you on mission for the glory of his name. He forgives us of our sins. Scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, that old things are passed away and all things become new. That's what Jesus does for us. Do you believe this morning? Jesus looked at this group that was gathered with them and he said, who do you say that I am? I'm not asking you this morning, what are the people around you? What is your mom? What is your dad? What's your grandparents? Who do they say that I am? Who do they say Jesus is? I'm asking you. Who do you say that he is? And if this morning for the first time you're ready to turn from your sin in repentance and trust in him, I want to invite you uh, just to respond with just this posture of surrender and repentance. Just trusting Jesus. that he'll change you. He'll save you. He'll use you. Father, we pray, God, that you would do what only you can do in our midst. God, we pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, if there's someone here that's never trusted you, God, that, that, that Lord, you would allow them to know the truth of the gospel this morning, God, and that they would respond in surrender and repentance, confessing you as Lord, being born again into the family of God. And Lord, I pray for your church this morning. God, will you do something in us, Lord, that God, it gets us off the defense, Lord. It gets us off this, this holy huddle that hides when we walk out into the world. But God, that you would do something in us that would call us, cause us, Lord, to be on mission, advancing, proclaiming, 
trusting. Knowing that in your promise, God, neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, things present, things to come, God, there's nothing that could separate us from your love. God, we fight from victory, and we thank you for that. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in worship this morning? Respond as God leads. Be obedient this morning.